Good morning. Let me ask you just now to open up your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, if you will. I want to uh, give a special thanks to Will Daney for preaching last Sunday and for bringing the word to us all through being here or through podcast, although the podcast was a little difficult to listen to. Uh, You could still kind of make it out, so I want to thank him for bringing the word to us from Revelation chapter 3. Today we find ourselves really in two places as a church. So place number one, we've just come to the end of a series, Uh, but really it's a series within a series. The, The larger series that we're doing is the Sermon on the Mount, but the series I'm referring to is the amount of time that we have spent on the topic of prayer. It really has been a pretty extended series within this larger section of God's Word that we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And then in chapter 6, we have all of this wonderful content on prayer, and that's what we have been spending our time in for quite a while. We've been discussing prayer for at least the last two months. I went back and sort of uh, looked at when we started uh, the, uh, going into chapter 6 when we really started to discuss prayer, and it was in June. So we've been here for almost exactly two months, and we've, been, we've had at least six sermons specifically on the Lord's Prayer, or what you might want to call the Disciples' Prayer, what we find in verses 9 through 13, but really also 14 and 15 as they, as they unpack the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. So we've been here for quite some time, and then last week we, we really finished the Lord's Prayer. We really finished this topic on prayer as we came to the last petition. In verse 13 of chapter 6, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. So that's where we finished last week. But I think we need to just very quickly address this question. What about the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer that you probably learned as a child? So when you learn the Lord's Prayer, more than likely, it did not end with evil one. It did not end with deliver us from evil or from the evil one. It ended in this way, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But that's not what you find if you're using an ESV uh, Bible or any, real, any modern version of the scriptures. You won't find that, although you will find a note telling you that this is not found in, that this is found in some manuscripts, but not in others. So I just want to briefly, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but I think if we're going to say, okay, we've just finished the Lord's Prayer, we should at least make a brief note on this topic. What is going on here with this uh, extra bit, this conclusion to the Lord's Prayer? And basically I'll say this, it, it is not in our earliest and generally, what is generally regarded to be our best Greek manuscripts, or in the earliest commentaries of the Lord's Prayer. So if you go back to Cyprian, if you go back to Tertullian or Origen, these earliest church fathers, when they treat the Lord's Prayer, we don't find them treating these words. When we go back to our earliest manuscripts of this passage in the Gospel of Matthew from the 4th and 5th century, we don't find these words in those manuscripts. They, they come to be inserted in those manuscripts as the transmission history of the New Testament continues, but they're not in those earliest copies. So what happened? 
Well, you're going to find these notes a lot in, in the New Testament. And probably in this case, what happened is that it was added to the prayer in the early church as a liturgical element. So imagine, you know, the Lord's Prayer is being said in church. It's being communicated a lot. And it just, there's the desire that it end in a kind of doxological way. In a a, a kind of, in a a fitting way that, that brings the prayer to a close in use in public worship that directs the people's minds back to God. You begin our Father in heaven and you end for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And some have pointed out that it may have actually derived from what we had on screen for our call to worship, which is 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 to 13. I gave you verse 11. Verse 11 of 1 Chronicles 29 says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So probably a liturgical element just added to the prayer, not adding to scripture, but adding to the prayer as it is prayed in public worship. And what oftentimes happened was these passages were read in public worship and notes were made in the margins of manuscripts and and those, those notes in the margins found their way into the text as it was transmitted and copied. And so did Matthew originally have these words? I don't think so. And that's uh, what the editors of the ESV Bible think as well. So although a great way to end the prayer, if you pray the prayer in that way, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's much historical precedence there. And of course, all of the uh, Protestant confessions, the Westminster Confession, they, they ended in this way. Of course, they do that because of the, the, the copy of the scriptures they were using was based largely on these later manuscripts. And so they have this in the prayer itself. So it's a great way to end the prayer, but we have not considered it in our treatment of the prayer. So right now, for most of you, you can plug back in. You've just kind of uh, sat there for a moment, hit the pause button in your mind. But I thought that it would be at least worthwhile to note that and not just skip past that portion of uh, what you may have learned to be part of the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. So that's the first place in which we find ourselves the end of our series on prayer. But there's a second place in which we find ourselves today, place number two. And that is, as many of you know, we have been going through the selection and appointment process with some deacon candidates and one elder candidate. And just to give you a a little bit of an idea of what I'm talking about, so elders are those in the New Testament who are given the function of being overseers, so they're leaders, they have a, a ruling charge from God, as we find in the scriptures, So they're overseers, and they're also shepherds. They have a a pastoral function. So that's what elders are described functionally in the New Testament in these ways. And deacons are described in the New Testament as those who serve the practical needs of the church. So the second place in which we find ourselves today is uh, we've kind of come to a bit of a climax with regard to that process that we're currently doing with a few brothers here in our church. We have now reached the end of that process for Will Daney and Jared Babb. Uh, These are guys who have been going through the deacon process for over a year now. And for Mark Grasso, who has been going through the elder appointment process for a little over a year now. 
And today, uh, after I finish with the sermon, these brothers are going to come up on stage and they're going to share their testimony with you. That'll be part of this sermon time. I will preach and then they will come up and then I'll come up and close in prayer before we have the Lord's Supper. So I look forward to hearing uh, these guys. We've had many discussions with them about their walk with the Lord and their, their belief in the gospel and their love for his church uh, their love for his word. And so I just look forward to, to hearing them once again describe that in whatever way they, they have uh, decided here today. I should also mention that uh, this will, this is maybe the not so pleasant part of, uh, of this, this announcement, that this today, what we're doing today, these testimonies will initiate a period of two weeks for you to privately come to, and I, I emphasize privately, come to one of the elders or, or the elder board as a whole just to come to us if for any reason you think that these men do not meet the biblical qualifications. And we as a, elders will have the responsibility of investigating that. So by the way, not a popularity contest. This is not if you just maybe don't like so-and-so, although you know, I can imagine that with these brothers, but maybe that's the case. Uh, you just maybe have, have a, a particular thing that you, a, a, an issue that you have, something maybe that you, you disagree on, on, on how we understand husband of one wife, or you, you, you're struggling with some of those. Though you can come and talk with us about those, but the, the intention of this is that if there is a, a known sin, a known pattern of sin that is kind of under the radar, and something that you personally know about, and you just know in your conscience that, that this must come to light, that you come to us as elders, and we will investigate that accordingly. But barring anything like that, these brothers will, will be appointed to the office of elder for Mark, to the office of deacon for Jared and Will on September the 10th in our Sunday morning service. So that's the second place in which we find ourselves this morning. So what are we going to do today? What I want to do this morning is to bring these two places together. We're kind of at a crossroads here. So I want to bring these two places together by applying the model prayer to the selection and appointment of church officers. And hopefully that will become a little clearer to you as we go through this process. But I also want to make a, just a brief application here. I've had a couple of conversations over the last two months with folks about how do we practically get into a habit of praying the Lord's Prayer? So conversations go sort of like this. Sometimes I just want to call out to God in the midst of my life, and I want to just talk to him about a specific thing, a specific issue that's pressing in on my life. You know, we all recognize that there are those frequent times or those regular times of prayer where we have a whole host of things that we come to God with, and we begin to pray, and, and it's more natural to think about that fitting with the Lord's Prayer. We just kind of go through everything, or at least everything that we've considered up to that point, or that's, that's in our lives at that moment, and we begin to pray through the Lord's Prayer a little more comprehensively. But what do we do when there's just a, a pressing crisis, or a situation, or a, or a specific occasion in which we just want to fly to the Lord in prayer and talk with Him, but we just maybe don't have that much time, or we just want to pray about this one thing. And what I would submit to you is that the Lord's Prayer is no less useful then than it is any other time. We still come to that request, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a, a health issue. That's not just a daily bread issue. There are all kinds of, of God's glory and our need issues that are attached to any specific issue. 
And so recognizing that we can come to God about any request and pray the Lord's Prayer, bringing it to bear on that specific request. So in that sense, the Lord's Prayer can always go with us. Whether we're just crying out to God in prayer spontaneously riding down the road over a phone call we just received, or whether we're having our regular time of prayer in the morning or in the evening with the Lord. So I hope that maybe this will be a bit of a model for how we can think about the Lord's Prayer in light of a specific issue or occasion. So the title for this morning's sermon is Applying Our Prayer. So if you will go ahead and stand with me, we're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. The reason we stand is in reverence for God's word. This is God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. This is God's holy, perfect word. So we stand while we read it as a, as a, as a demonstration of the fact that we revere it and respect it as such. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 6. Verses 9 to 13, and then in light of the occasion today as a background, I want to also go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. So if you want to go ahead and find that place in your Bible, we're going to read that immediately after the Lord's Prayer. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to consider this background text dealing with the appointment of elders and deacons, or dealing with the qualifications for elders and deacons as we find it in 1 Timothy 3. So let's read God's word. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're bringing that prayer to bear on this passage or on this theme from this passage. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 13, this, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. That's elder. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, not sober, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You can go ahead and be seated. 
Let's pray for the Lord's grace, which we always need as we come to his word, seek to understand it and apply it, and as we seek to prayerfully uh, think about the occasion uh, which we find ourselves in today. Our great Father, our caring, powerful Father, Lord God, what a privilege to pray to you now as a people, to come together in worship of you through your Son, to pray to you as our Father, Abba, Daddy, Papa, with all the intimacy that 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 involves, intimacy which we do not conceive of or understand in this life, a love that far surpasses the love that any of us has for our own children, that any of us have for our own parents. This is the love which you have for us and the love which you had for your son, which you have for your one unique son and which he has for you as he cried out to you while he was here on earth, Abba, Abba. Father, we're grateful that you've called us together today to bear your holy name, to celebrate it, to worship you in all of your majesty, for truly yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. God, we want to worship you today in spirit and truth according to your word. We want to worship you and not be focused on doing things before the eyes of others, but we want to do everything today from a pure heart and all sincerity without hypocrisy before your face, O oh God. Help us do that today, we ask. And Father, we pray that you will bring your purposes to bear here today, that you will light up the hearts of men, that you will change hearts, that you will convert sinners from lawlessness to holiness, that you will transform those of us who are in Christ more and more into his image, and that your will will be done here in perfect worship as it is in heaven always, as the angels surround your throne and worship you in all of your glory and majesty. Father, we have many needs that we come here today with, and we just ask that you will minister to each of us that the word this morning will be a healing balm to us in our struggles, in our trials, in our worries and cares, God, that you would, would teach us once again that when, that when we pray to you, we can truly trust you and cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. Father, we ask for forgiveness for our sins. We know that we are sinful that we are broken and weak and vulnerable and susceptible every moment to corruption and blindness and darkness and deception. And Father, today we ask that you will forgive us where we have disobeyed your word, where we have followed our own will rather than your will. Father, we pray for your forgiveness and your cleansing from sin and the effects of sin and the estrangement that it brings between us and you and between us with one another. Father, we ask today that you will keep us as a church from the devil, that you will protect us from falling into temptation, and when we do, that you will keep us, that you will preserve us as your people. Pray for all of us in that, Father, as we, as we face the trials of life and as we face temptations to sin and to, to lust after the things of, of this world, that you will keep us close to your son, that he will be our treasure, that we will, we will in fact, cling to that treasure which we found in that field and we will sell everything and purchase that field and live there. Father, that our home would be there built upon that treasure who is Christ. 
So Father, guide us today. We need your grace as we come to your word. We need your power. Apart from you, we have nothing. We are weak without any strength. God, would you give us that which we need today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So applying our prayer is the title for today. And basically what I've done is I've just gone through and listed all of the the main ideas for each of the petitions that we've had as we've gone through uh, this series, within a series on the Lord's Prayer. So we have his attributes acknowledged. We pray that his attributes will be acknowledged, that his reign will be realized, that his purposes will be perfected, that our sustenance, notice we move from his to our, we start there, we move to our sustenance being supplied, our wrongs being wiped out, and our protection being provided. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to think through these petitions as it relates to the selection and appointment of church elders and deacons or church officers in general. But first, before we jump into the first petition, we first need to deal with the address. The address, as we come to God in prayer, we, we first addressing Abba. Before we start adoring Abba, we say, our Father in heaven. You'll notice that in verse 9, our Father in heaven. When we address God as our Father in heaven, we are making most fundamentally a statement about identity. When we say these words to God in prayer, we are saying we belong. We belong to him as children. We belong to his family, our father. We talked about that. So we are affirming our identity in Christ, the son, as we come to him and say our father in heaven. So in our candidate interviews with these brothers, with Will and Jared and Mark and others, as we're continuing to with the process now with some other deacon candidates, not currently uh, pursuing uh, another elder candidate, but with some of our current deacon candidates. As we go through these candidate interviews, we're looking really for three things. Here, at least on this topic, we're looking for a sense of assurance that these are brothers who can confidently say, by God's grace, I belong. I have Abba. As my father, I am assured that I have been born again, transferred from lawlessness and darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, that I belong to the father. So assurance, trust, that these are brothers who look to the Lord. They're not just assured of the fact that they belong to the Lord, but they're brothers who, who look to the Lord in the situations of life. That as we come up against trials and things, that that these are brothers who the eyes go upward and they imperfectly look to God as the Father who provides what they need. So assurance and trust also, and very importantly, looking for a sense of neediness. That these are not uh, sort of self-confident, self-reliant assertive brothers, those who who think they just kind of have it all together. They've climbed a mountain of spiritual maturity and they have finally gotten to the top and now this is what they want to do. That's not the case at all, but that these are brothers who recognize that they are always in need from the Lord. Give us, forgive us, lead us, calling out to him to supply what it is we need. 
And so today, as we consider these words, our Father in heaven, on this occasion, we are praying for an increase of these things for these men. We are asking that they will grow in assurance of God's love for them as children, that they will grow in trust of God every moment of every day, they will trust him as their father, and that they will grow in their sense of neediness, their poverty of spirit, where they recognize that without God, they can do nothing. So we pray our Father in heaven, and then we come to the first petition, where we pray, hallowed be your name. In light of this particular occasion today, hallowed be your name, that's also found in verse nine. We're praying that his attributes would be acknowledged. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are asking that God's holy character would be seen in the lives of these men. Remember, we talked about extensively when we looked at this topic, hallowed be your name, that the way in which, the primary way in which God's name is treated as holy or hallowed or set apart as special and sanctified, the primary way that God does that is through the holy character of his people. That when his people live holy lives, his name is, is there, found in every deed, in every word, in a heart disposition that reflects the character of the heavenly father. And so we are praying for holiness, for Jared, for Will, for Mark. One of the ways that we, that we lean into this at the beginning of this process is we give these guys a theology exam. And, and it's not like, you know, you have to, it's not just a, like an academic thing. It has that element. But essentially what it is, is we give these guys a, a, an opportunity to think through what they actually believe. You know, we know that elders are, are supposed to be able to teach. What, what is it that this brother who's coming out as an elder would be teaching if we were to just sort of see right now? What is it he believes about this or that? It's quite extensive. It's quite long. It takes them some time. They have to devote some effort to fill this out. Each of them fills this out. And remember when we talked about hallowing your name, we talked about the fact that in order to do that, there must be a knowing we have to know something about God before we can celebrate his character and his attributes in the world. You have to know what God's attributes are. So Christianity has never been a kind of anti-intellectual thing. It involves knowing stuff and knowing the content of the scriptures and the theology that derives from the scriptures is integral to hallowing the name of God. So... That is one of the ways that we have uh, walked through this process with these guys. But also we see with hallowing your name that they're to reflect the holiness of God, reflecting the character of God. We, we have extensive interviews with these brothers, with them and their wives. We meet with them uh, together with their wife and we sit and we talk through the marriage. We talk through the home life. We talk through the character of the husband as a father if he, is, if he has children his role and his demeanor and character as a husband. We talk with him about his heart and his eyes, about how he uses his time, about his past and his present and what he projects to be his future. We talk about all of these things primarily because we want God's name to be hallowed through his people and especially through those who lead and serve his people in the local church. So we pray, hallowed be your name. And then we pray, your kingdom come. That's found in verse 10. We're praying here that God's reign would be realized. And when we pray, 
your kingdom come. We are asking that God would fill these men with zeal for kingdom service. Is that a word that has really factored much into your own understanding of the Christian life? Zeal. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That's what Paul says. That, you know, think about it this way. We come to the Christian life and we think, I just don't feel it. I haven't felt it in a while. We're commanded to get it. We're commanded to have zeal. Zeal's not one of these things that's so attached to the emotions that you have it when you feel it. No, we're commanded to have zeal. Isn't that incredible? But that's one of the things that we're looking for in these brothers is that they are zealous for the kingdom of God, zealous for kingdom work, for kingdom service, for kingdom growth. And more than anything, this means that these brothers, as we all ought to be, are zealous for salvation because that's the reign of Christ. Salvation as it comes first to, to a sinner, as that sinner is, is drawn to Christ and goes from being darkness to light, and then the ongoing salvation that we call sanctification, whereby that Christian person gets transformed more and more day by day into the character of Jesus. So conversion and growth, that these brothers are passionate about that. One of the ways that this is gauged is that these were brothers who were already serving in the local church. They were already serving here. This was not a situation in which we just sort of brainstormed about, you know, maybe that person, maybe this person. These are guys who, without a position, without some kind of status, if you will, or whatever you want to call it, were already doing the kingdom work within this local church. So, for example... Mark was engaged in gospel community group leadership. Will was working with the youth and leading a gospel community group and has done much with the administration of our church. Jared has led in the band for quite some time now, giving up countless hours to make sure that the worship that we have here on Sunday morning glorifies the Lord and edifies his people. So that these brothers have demonstrated that kingdom service here in this place, and that they've had a desire to serve. One of, the, one of the things that Paul says to Timothy is that these brothers, those who are appointed as elders, should have that desire, who desire to do this, that it's not something they do begrudgingly or out of a sense of duty, strictly, but that it's something you want to do. It's something you love because you love Christ and you love his kingdom and you love the citizens of that kingdom. So we pray your kingdom come in this way for these brothers and for our local church as we come to this point in the history of our church where we bring these three men on as church officers. And then we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is found in verse 10 as we pray that God's purposes would be perfected. When we pray your will be done, we're asking that God would grow in these men a deep love for the Bible. Why do I say that? And why do I say that here? Because of this. It is in the Bible that we find God's will. We don't just cook it up in our minds. We don't just sort of feel it or uh, kind of it's an intuition thing. We find God's will in Scripture, 
in Holy Scripture, in the Bible. And so today we're praying for these brothers in particular, for all of us, but today for these brothers in particular, that they would be Bible men, Bible-saturated men. Not just those who, who read the Bible and spend time in the Bible, who memorize the Bible, who meditate on the Bible, but those who then obey the Bible. It is a fool who knows much about the Bible but doesn't obey it. Notice in Psalm 1, the person who delights in the law of the Lord, he meditates on it day and night. He is not one who goes down the path of sinners, who sits in the seat of scoffers. His knowing and his meditating and his delighting show up in the fact that he hates sin and he loves God. And so he is obedient to the Lord. He walks in the way of wisdom because he is a Bible man. Man who loves God's word, imperfectly so, but nonetheless true. We are praying that for these brothers. We're praying that they would submit their will to God's will. Remember, when we talked about your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he is praying and he says, not my will, but your will be done. That is a model for all of us to consider that sometimes doing the will of God is arduous. Sometimes it's very difficult. And we recognize that in the midst of that, we take our little will and we submit it to the holy will of God. And that only happens through Christ. Because Christ in us, who said that in the garden, can do that in us as we pray, your will be done. So we are praying that for these brothers. And then number four, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We find that in verse 11. We are praying that our sustenance will be supplied. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are reminded that these men will need strength and wisdom. So we pray for that today. We consider that on this occasion. These brothers will need strength and wisdom to carry out God's work in this local church. So we're praying that their practical needs will be met that the practical needs of their families would be met and that God would sustain them through trials and difficulties. Just to give you a little bit of an illustration, Will preached last week and he shared with, with us the fact that in the weeks leading up to him preaching, he had undergone so all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of things have been going on. Brittany has a, a pretty serious knee injury that happened recently, his wife, Brittany a pretty serious knee injury that happened recently. These are real needs. These brothers have real needs, real issues, real difficulties. Mark Grasso will be, uh, uh, give his testimony this morning. He'll be appointed as an elder, Lord willing, on September the 10th. He, he recently wrecked on his bike this week and broke his clavicle. You'll see him there uh, all wrapped up. He, he's got real needs. He's a person just like all of us who, who has real needs. He's still here. He's still going to speak to you this morning. I'm sure he'll share more details with you about that. But we see that these brothers have these needs. We, we must pray for them that the Lord would give them their daily bread. Jared and Maggie with a new baby, Molly Kate, with some special needs and some difficulties there. We're praying for each of these brothers. But even more, think of it this way. As we say, give us this day our daily bread on this occasion, we are also considering the fact that this is the means by which God meets the needs of his church. Think about it this way. If you're in isolation from the local church and you're praying, give us this day our daily bread, that makes no sense. 
Because one of the ways, one of the primary ways that God desires to meet your needs that you would be praying about in this fourth petition is through his local church. And one of the very practical ways that God accomplishes that is through the ministry of deacons. And so we are praying that the church's needs would be met through the service of these brothers as they come on to these positions. And then number five, we are praying for give us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You find that in verse 12, praying that our wrongs would be wiped out. When we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, we are reminded of two things on an occasion like today. First, that elders and deacons are imperfect, broken sinners, just like every other Christian. Just like every Christian. Imperfect, broken, weak, vulnerable, sinners, needing mercy from God, like all of us. Every single day. Daily mercy from a loving and forgiving God. That every one of us is called to be poor in spirit, to recognize our emptiness before the Lord and the fact that we so need him. Early on in the process, uh, one of our current elders, Mike Walpole, was commenting on the fact that it's hard to, we get one of the questions that we give these elder and deacon candidates is to ask them to assess their life in relation to the passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3, whether it's for elders or for deacons, to look at, at, at their life and that passage and to ask the question, to, to get them to explore, are they qualified? And one of the things that Mike, I think, so fittingly brought up was the fact that, you know, if, if, if somebody writes there, yes, I'm qualified, exclamation point, then they're not qualified. That is showing the fact that their hearts aren't, are, are filled with pride and they really aren't poor in spirit. It's difficult to do that. It's kind of prickly to look at that list. We have to do it. We must do it. The brother must do it. And those of us in leadership who are working through this with these brothers, they, we must do it. But we all feel that sense of being totally unqualified for such a weighty, incredible work. So we pray for these brothers that they will be poor in spirit, that they will always be needy sinners before the throne of grace. Secondly, that elders and deacons are peacemakers and reconcilers who are in the business of forgiving and bringing about forgiveness. One of the key roles of leaders and deacons, elders and deacons within the church is reconciliation. The need to bring people together and the need to bring oneself into a peaceful relationship with others. That this is a key part of what it means to be one of these leaders in the local church. And so as Jesus prays, forgive us our debts as we also, or as he tells us to pray, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We see this in Titus 1. Titus 1, Paul is talking to Titus and telling him to appoint elders. And why is he to appoint elders? Because they are to rebuke and to silence those who are upsetting whole families within the church. So we see that there is, there, there is a, all this tension and division and upset. And God's elders are to come along and to calm the storm. To bring peace. To bring reconciliation in the body. We see this in Acts 6. Very explicitly, with the appointment of the first deacons, they were appointed to deal with a what? A complaint. 
(laughs) There's enough of those in the church, in any church. But they were called to deal with that particular issue, a complaint, a division among the people in the body of Christ. Deacons were appointed to preserve the unity of the church. So we think of all of this as we come today to pray on behalf of these brothers and on behalf of our church and this, on this occasion, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then finally, as we finish up this morning, as I invite these brothers to come and share their testimonies with you, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. We're praying here that our protection will be provided. When we pray this petition, we are praying that these brothers would be protected from the schemes and assaults of the devil. Two weeks ago, we talked about this evil enemy. We talked about how much he hates God. We talked about his pride. We talked about his ferocity and his power, his strength. We talked about how he desires to destroy the church and he desires to destroy those who serve the church and who lead the church. So we must pray. We must pray for these brothers and their families, for our church, for these offices, that we would be protected, delivered from the evil one. We are praying that their intimate involvement in the lives of people will not lead them into situations that compromise their integrity and lead them into sin. We're praying that God would keep them in the midst of their moving about in the lives of the church. The church is the people, not the building. In the lives of the church, that God would keep them, protect them, protect their reputation, protect their hearts, protect their eyes. Praying that God would protect their families, their marriages, their parenting, and their time. These are brothers who are volunteering their time. They work full-time jobs, they have families, and they're volunteering their time to serve this local church. So we're praying that God would protect them, that God would protect their unity with one another and with other church officers, that there would be a unity among the leadership here at Four Corners Church that would always be preserved by our Father in heaven. That unity would be preserved from brother to brother and from elder board, deacon board, all of those who are serving in these offices, that that unity would be preserved. And we are praying that God would protect them from pride or self reliance, that they would depend on the Lord and not upon themselves. So on this occasion today, we pray all of this for our church. We pray all of this for these brothers in particular who will be moving into these positions shortly, God willing. So today we bring the model prayer to bear on this important occasion and we pray for these men as they move forward as elders or elder or deacons of Four Corners Church. And I'm going to ask now that they come up, and I'll come up afterwards and and pray. But uh, Mark will come up first, and then Jared, and then Will, and they'll just share a little bit uh, of their testimony with you all.